Cradaline Network. Borag, dog, Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. It's the 249th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Po- <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. A podcast for two Americans trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for December 1991, Prog 760 to 763. This time, we'll learn about Judge Anderson's past, take Ooh. out the trash... Oh, and God. start the road to revenge with Judge Dredd. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, yeah, something, something, uh, you know, they're going to bleed a stone or... Oh, God. Geomantic. I, I yeah, I was trying to think of, like, uh, some kind of um, earthbender joke you can make with that, but I think that's going to fly over the heads of some people. Yeah, no, making these are making these Avatar the Last Airbender jokes are tough, buddy. <laughs> Cause Toff's an airbender you see what I'm talking about. Yeah, you no, read along I, with the, I love you. Yeah. You'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd the Complete Case Files 16, Judge Anderson the Sci Files Volume 1, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 295 and 319. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, let's get started on the topic of tragic love stories, Fox, which we're always in the mood for. Oh, God. (laughs) Let's talk about Thrill One, Judge Dredd. Ooh. Ooh. Chainsaw me. (laughs) I can Garth Ennis, Alan Gr- and Alan Grant, Art Robots, Dermot Power, Greg Staples, and John Burns, Letting Robot, Tom Frame. So we oh, start man. off. Oh, yeah. instead of snow, it's blood. Mmm, you gotta think about it. So uh, Garth Ennis and Dermot Power start us off here. Um, and as much as I feel like we gave Garth Ennis props for doing that Twin Peaks episode of Judge Dredd, uh-huh. This feels like now it's starting to feel more like he's just sort of walking around and saw like like looking at going to the corner store and looking at the at the at the VHS rack and was like, "Oh, I could just uh. toss a freaking Edward Scissorhands into Judge Dredd." That's fine. I mean, yeah, no, I'm just waiting for the inevitable Freddy joke, you know. <laughs> so, um well, we already saw. I mean, Dredd's already fought Freddy, as I recall. Oh, it was like yeah. some guy was having a dream or something like that. I don't know. Sure, I'm just waiting for it to be like a guy with you know, I don't know, gardening trowels for you know, hands. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So as we see a young Winnie Flapwapper searching okay. <laughs> ruined buildings in Nega City One and finding Teddy Chopper mitts. Etc. You got it. Yeah, it's Edward Scissor hands, but instead of scissors, he's got like weed whackers and 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 chainsaw hands, basically. I, uh, you know, it just really seems not great. Scissor hands were also bad. Um, this yeah. man is living in a prison of, I guess, maybe his own creation. Yeah, finger prison. Um, she takes oh, that's him a Chinese home. finger trap. <laughs> Whoa, to the uh, Tim Burton block, of course, director of Edward Scissorhands, where her dad is not happy about all this, especially no. not happy when Teddy accidentally cuts him in half with his hands. I mean, you know, 
I like he's like, oh, watch out! Like you can put your hands pretty firmly behind your back instead of I don't know into a hug motion to cut this man in half. All I'm Not saying a- is this man is a murderer and he's faking it. Yes, clear. Dred's called in. He's mid shooting a sniper as he gets the call, which is pretty good. <laughs> and he's just he keeps driving. Guy just hits yeah. the road. Like, hold on. Boom. Like, all right, get right. a meat wagon over there. <laughs> um, he's on the way as Winnie's mother attacks Teddy and also gets oh, chopped in half as well. Did you not learn from your husband dying that the, the man has chainsaws for fingers? And their chainsawness is very passive. He doesn't seem to be able to control them at all. Uh, yeah, really, it just seems that they go off when in contact to uh, to human beings. Should have yeah. left him where you found him. <laughs> Winnie sympathizes um, with Teddy. Like, oh, he can't control himself. She tries to comfort him, but chop her hands, go, mm, and she dies too. <laughs> as and he Dredd cuts her into little scene. bloody snowflakes. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> the page is gone full, uh, full hook jaw red as yeah, Teddy freaks out jaw. about <laughs> killing Winnie. And then he just, you know, after this, he's just gone kill crazy. He attacks Dread. Um, luckily, Dread is made of sterner stuff. He tries to hey, block t- the chopper mitts with his day stick. It gets cut in half. <laughs> Gaze into the fist, etc. Yeah. Then, but he is. Yeah. But in the end, he ends up gazing into the fist. Um, although I should say, Fox, if you really look closely at this image, you'll see oh. that um, the fist and the edge of the shoulder pad coming off of Dredd's arm are sort yeah. of opposite here. Like, yeah, weird. Like it should be the uh, like you should be should seeing be- the inner belt. Right. Yeah. Like you. Like with if you see a chest, like um, a shoulder eagle, like that, it should be the right arm. But it's the left arm. I don't know. Well, the maybe arms maybe That's he was he's say. using a you know an ancient uh, mace meat face technique where you just break. <laughs> where you pop your arms off him. onto different arms. Just oh just yeah, to he's keep doing a dull seam. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> anyway. He he caves in Teddy's nose. He ain't pretty no more. And he goes, and Teddy goes stumbling off, accidentally cutting off his own head. Oh, a yeah, close not good. Shave, a close shave indeed. The meat wagon arrives to clean up. Even if they were in love, I wouldn't book the honeymoon just yet. As we see Witty being taken away in like a in a in a bag, basically. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I could make some crass jokes here, but, you know, really, it's just all gross. I hate things where fingers are something else are never a good look. Like if your hands or if your fingers were like eels, that's not fun. Yeah. Hand medusing. You aren't a fan of that? No, that <laughs> the old tried and tested hand medusa. <laughs> Can you? I I have I have a serious question, Fox. Before we okay. move on, which okay. is if you are if you are doing a Medusa and you've got snake hair or snake okay. hands or yeah. eel hair or whatever else, can you see out of the eyes of those snakes? Oh yeah, a thousand percent. That's what I want. Okay, cool. Yeah, me too. I just wanna I just wanna make I mean, sure we're on the same page here. You got it. You gotta you gotta think about that a little bit, right? Because like. Your two human eyes are seeing in our normal spectrum of vision. And then, like, you have two. So, what? Oh, you got thousands of snake vision. Yeah. 20 20 snake eyes that are, like, you know, uh, barely functional, slightly based in heating, right? If I understand snakes correctly, I don't. I don't have snakes for fingers. 
Sad. All right, so we let's move on here. Greg <laughs> Staples takes over on art. It's his first time doing art in the Prague after getting a piece of fan art published in a very early nerve center. Pretty cool. Damn, nice. Um, Staples will go on to draw a bunch of Dread stories and a bunch of Magic cards as well. Um, awesome. And uh, um, among other things, he's a he's a pretty big artist, and so I'm stoked to um, that he's appeared on the podcast. He's also famously like there's a couple like photos of folks in uh, of uh, him and like dread cosplay as well it's pretty nice lovely but, um yeah content warning for suicides to go into this one i guess because Whoa. there's a hot new video going around the rough guide to suicide by undertone <laughs> hancock god really disgusting human <laughs> yeah all the best ways to kill yourself and sometimes others in the process order now Okay. And I think, Fox, this is a reference to um, the Anarchist's Cookbook, which had just gone out of print in 1991 and was starting to, like, become, like, just, like, you know, enter into the public eye, I think, in those early yeah. internet days. Well, I guess pre-internet, but still, like, passing around, I think. It sort of made headlines in 91 because it had gone out of print. What a lovely human being that was. Takes us back. Anyway, um, this is all being broadcast on, or the the commercial for the Rough Guide to Suicides being broadcast on an illegal pirate channel, and we see judges raid the place, but or we see, first we see them a little bit, and then we just hear them after they take the camera out, and it's sort of silent, like gunfight and <laughs> arrests and stuff, and a judge is like, "All right, who wants to cut the sound now?" Jeez, smack! But it seems word is out as. Um, we see a citizen walk in front of a truck, and suicide is a sensation sweeping the city. I don't, yeah, I guess, I, I, it's very difficult for me to sympathize with people who are chasing the new fad, which is suicide. It's a very Mega City One thing, I think, of just that they will follow these fads and, and, and weird things even onto death, basically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um... We uh, we uh, we learned that all the meat wagons are busy. Um, Judge Decker just found somebody who put their head in a reactor. Another sort of end is like tossing oh. in these little minor characters. The death tolls at over seven thousand. <laughs> Chief Chief Magruder calls a meeting because you know this is a crisis. The techs think that over fifty thousand people could end up killing themselves by morning. Oh, Hershey, Hershey, yeah, that's a lot. They Hershey suggests they find Undertone Hancock and force him to disavow the guide. And Dred's more than happy to try beating it out of him when it comes to that. But it seems Hancock's gone underground. So Dred instead does the usual thing, round up his family, his friends, even his dog to question them and find the author. In the end, someone rats him out and Dred comes bursting into Undertone's apartment only to find him swinging from a noose, a note All saying right. that an author should have the courage of his convictions. All right, bud. Well, at least he's gone, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and Dred's just like, well, I guess, you know, you got to give it to him. 50,000, I guess that just means 50,000 people are going to die. Oh, luck God. next time. Uh, Ah! I, it's, I, I mean, they're trying to make this out to be funny, and I'm having a, like, I, I uh, it's like I can enjoy it, but I also feel oogie. Yeah, I think that's fair. Listen, to quote a different Winona writer's uh, uh, movie, Fox. Uh-huh. Teenage suicide. Don't do it. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, you ever seen Heathers? Oh, no, man. man. Man, that just... <laughs> 
No, I have not seen Heather's. Heather's is good, but in in it, um, there is. It, there's a lot going on, but it, but but one of the subplots is that there is a rock band that's got a song called Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It. And oh. um, then Winona Ryder and Christian Slater are like killing a bunch of like high, of fellow high school students and making them look like suicides. And so eventually it becomes like, we got to get this band to come play a concert at our school so that they spread this message. And the song's really great. It's like, teenage suicide, don't do it. Teenage suicide, <laughs> oh don't do it. That kind of stuff. It's wow. great. Uh. Highly recommend <laughs> okay. it. Highly recommend Heathers. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Al- Alan Grant and John Burns take over on this story. John Burns, we most recently saw in the election storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one's called The Art of Geomancy. And Fox, geomancy is either <sighs> a method of divination using rocks and stuff or the feng shui of building cities and building placement and stuff. Okay. Or just earthbending. You're right. Um, so we see a sci-fi jet with an Asian character on the wing fly over a wasteland as narration boxes talk about everything once being linked and in balance, but then men forgot who they were and lost that connection. We see a All giant right. stone explode. The narrator thinks about these things as they go to meet the enemy. Okay. The, yeah, the plane approaches the massive domes of Mega City One as the narrator then names their target... The homie Judge Dredd. I'm going Soon to get him with my geomancy. That's right. I play my geomancy card. Does oh, my damage. God. At the spaceport, judges are on custom duty, including Judge Dredd, and he checks a woman with a baby suitcase. She's in Mega City 1 to see her brother at the Billy Reich block. And Billy Reich is the psychoanalyst who made a big deal about the sexual revolution. Uh, he blended Freud with Marxism and also coined the term orgone energy, if you're a big New Age freak. Whoa, what the um, fuck? Listen, I got a lot of, of uh, background things here. She's clean and free to go, <laughs> but as she leaves, she trips and drops her baby, and Dread acts fast. <laughs> he catches this kid and the baby safe. The woman seems grateful, but... Her mission is to make him suffer. Like, it's clear that she's narrating. She talks about how, God, in this moment, I could have hit 17 different pressure points and instantly kill him. But instead, my mission is to make him suffer. I will put a kick me sign on his back. Yeah, as she thanks him, she does put a sign on, just slip a sign onto his back without him knowing. She disappears into the crowd while the other judges notice that sign and he pulls it off. Oh, God recognizes what's written on it and pulls his gun because that's the symbol for Death Fist, the assassin, Sam Stan Lee. I'm going to kill you, true believers. (laughs) Don't don't you uh, think even for a second that you're going to be in another Marvel film if I'm up to the chase. It's a cameo to kill for. He rushes after her, shouting her description into control, but it's too late. She's ditched the baby at the spaceport and has climbed underneath a hover bus slipping through the fingers of the judges like smoke. Be careful! I, I, she left the baby in the trash. Yeah, it's not her baby. You know, she just that's a, <laughs> that's a stunt baby that she used to to distract Red, man. She doesn't care. It served its purpose. Baby's just like, at this proximity, I could have had over four liters of milk from your body. 
Yeah. Someone left a baby in the trash. I'll never get that recipe again, buddy. Oh, wow. (laughs) MacArthur bus station. God. (laughs) Okay. At the Justice Department Library. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Caught me off guard. Abandoned baby jokes with a stun attack. Yeah. At the Justice Department library, an older judge in Justice Department PJs, like he's got kind of like just a little like drawn on shoulder eagle here because he's for office use. But he wow. translates Dredd's note. It's the death fist symbol and then the symbol for Wu Wong. Uh, thunder rolling over heaven, like which means that you've got to roll with the unexpected or be destroyed, I guess. Okay. But this kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo doesn't interest Dredd. He instead just basically just knows the facts already that Stan Stan Lee's quoon, which is not a term I think we've seen in 2008 in like this story before, but a quoon is basically the Chinese, like a Chinese like martial arts school, basically. It's sort of the, I guess the Chinese equivalent of, of a dojo, if that makes sense. Cool. Just to sort of mix my, uh, my, mar- my, my, my martial arts terms here. But yeah, so that's what that is. Um, and they're using that all the time now. So I guess that's a Garth Ennis innovation here, using okay. these kung fu talks. Um, but the, his coon has lost face. And so they're probably, so she's probably here to make up for it. But it's a little weird that they sent a lady. Suddenly, Dredd gets a call. It's Max Normal. Yeah, it's my boy. It's my boy, Max Normal. So did you miss me, man, while I was away? Did you hang a picture on your wall? Did you miss me, man, every single day? It's Max Normal. <laughs> yeah, John Burns draws Max is a little older, I think. He's added like some crow's feet in here or something. Oh, that's um, okay. He's been surviving swinging on a cane around God knows where, living it yeah, up. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a couple years for sure. He's gotten into fashion and the nightclub scene, all kinds of stuff, mostly in yeah. specials and annuals. Um, but yeah, like he, he sings the song Fox just sang, which is pretty solid. He's back on the scene. Nothing abnormal about Max no more. Uh, Dread asks to meet as we see, and the uh, the Asian lady is now um, now in revealing martial arts clothes. She's got kind of a kind of oh, a yeah, you got one the side piece. boob going on. Yeah, side boob, one piece, fingerless gloves, boots with a lot of cutouts in them. Um, yeah. They go to meet. Dread calls it into control. He says he's going in alone, but it's pretty sure it's a trap. So have backup yes. standing by. <laughs> The lady who we learned is uh, is is named Wu Wang. Uh, smacks Max Normal in the face with the pipe as Max I mean, apologizes I'm, that for I'm, leading to a trap. I'm worried because the next scene you see is like his face is all bleeding. He's laying down. Max, don't die. Seriously, yeah, come on, buddy. The two fight. Uh, Dread and Wu Wang fight through the ruins, but she's too fast and crafty for Dread. She disarms him, hits him several times with punishing pipe blows. Things are going fast now. We see uh, the page like it goes to thirteen panels, just to give you a sense of all these things happening at once. Um, Dread's wrist is broken as controls yeah, asking if he needs backup. He Which, goes, I mean, if he's not responding in, like, the first couple seconds, yes, he needs backup, you ding-dongs. Yeah, it's definitely one of these, like, um, like two two rope pulls for I'm, I'm in trouble, but also if I don't pull the rope for, like, five minutes, I'm also in trouble. Like, you know, they should, <laughs> we should know this stuff, you know? Um. So Dread goes for the boot knife, but gets disarmed again. Even the boot oh knife has failed. God, no. 
the boot wedding. knife's not supposed to fail. It's the last ditch boot based resort. Seriously, she uh, gives him like a, ch- a chop in the shoulder just inside of his uh, shoulder armor, elbows God. him in the chin. He throws dirt in her eyes and blinds her, but she can fight without being able to see landing this devastating palm strike to the bottom of his chin. I, you know, I'm so surprised that her fucking hand didn't shatter. That thing's made a like solid slate. You know, she's she's landed two chin strikes. She must be so powerful that she can actually use the strength of Dredd's jaw against himself or something. Uh, God damn. <laughs> Blood goes everywhere as a trio of judge makes their way to the ruins. They say Jim Lee's, or a, sorry, Jesus, that's different. Lee. They say Stan Lee's coon breeds him tough, but Joe's not getting any younger. Next time, Under the Skin. Under the skin, dude, under the skin. That's got a very gross connotation to it now that I sing it. Yeah. No, don't like it. Don't want to be under the skin, buddy. That's too much. <laughs> Pretty all right. I'm, I'm excited about this. I like, you know me, I'm a kung fool. Yeah, this is a good cliffhanger and just generally, I think it is cool periodically when Dredd gets the crap beat out of him. You know, I think we've had a quite a bit of um, Dredd just being real good at stuff and, like, be winning things easily. Yeah, you got to take him down a crag. Yeah, I think this is a balance that has to be struck for, the, for a character like Dredd because, like, he's... If you have him lose, like, if you just have him always lose and get beat up and then come from behind, like, then he just starts to look weak a little bit. But, yeah. like, having him be pretty dominant and then occasionally lose, I think, makes those losses more, they have more oomph to him, is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, you, well, and you want his, his losses or, like, his, his weakness to be one of, like, um, a, a much more heady kind of weakness, right? Like, that we got with uh, the Democrats, Right. So yeah, like, yeah, an ideological loss. Or yeah, whatever. And I, and I, uh, yeah, exactly. Because the the kind of the I mean, because he is an embodiment of that specific thing, which is what gives him his strength. Uh, he mm-hmm. can get the shit beaten out of him. I mean, hell, they like burned his face to shit, and we didn't even know that that was him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just like, and I like that they're picking up this um, this plot thread as well. I think we've seen, we saw a comic, a, a, maybe a year or two ago, that was of mm. this lady training to kill Dread, and yeah. so I'm stoked I'm glad, to see yeah, we pick this bl- up. Yeah, they brought it back around. Like this, this Jim Lee, or God damn it, this uh, Stan Lee <laughs> subplot is very like it's just sort of an underpinning, occasionally being updated in the course of. Uh, of uh judge dread you know yeah it's 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 curious to me because it's just it's i i didn't forget what it was once it was brought up again and yeah. i was like oh pleasant surprise right yeah definitely yeah i'm glad like i th- i i think it's fun to have something that you only ch- that like a subplot you only check in on every every year or even couple of years like i think pj maybe is going to be like that as well where oh lovely you know, it's not like a we- it's not, it's not like a month a weekly or monthly occurrence. It's just sort of every once in a while we sort of do these little updates to um you know to see what's going on with this stuff or in yeah. this case to have a big fight. <laughs> but speaking of big fights, Fox, or oh, okay. strange situations in an urban setting, I guess I don't know. Let's talk about thrill to trash. 
talking about speaking of trash. Mm, script robot Paul Kupperberg, art robot Nigel Dobbin, lettering robot Glib. So this was originally called How Green Was My Computer, or How Green Is My Computer, and indeed that's sort of the subtitle for all of these issues um, okay. or, 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 or segments. It's the first and, pre- and only time we'll see Paul Kupperberg um, in 2000 AD. He's an American writer who's written a ton of DC comics and edited as well, actually. He'd later edit DC's version of Judge Dredd and eventually go on to then become editor of the Weekly World News as well, which I think was kind of cool. Whoa. Um, then the artist Nigel Dobbin will, of course, remember from uh, Medivac 318. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start with a prologue episode, The Flower, it's called. Uh, New York City 2050, a dandelion grows from a crack in a sidewalk as the narrator talks about his mom's tiny London garden. She'd hey, quote Tennyson yeah. to the flowers. And as we see these sidewalks, they're all sort of like crowded and filthy. The city's full of vacant lots and people in dystopic future fashions. I and think just in case about. you weren't sure that this was New York, hey, what are you trying to get killed or what? Yeah, there aren't many flowers left because humanity chose plastics and petrol over rainforests and the ozone layer, you sons of Man, bitches. That's some Captain Planet nonsense going on yeah. here. The narrator seems to be wearing a khaki-colored, like, old-school Bobby uniform, I guess, complete with, like, the big <laughs> the big dome helmet and stuff like oh, that. Oh, no, and, and, like, the rucksack backpack, but it's a gas tank and a backpack. Yeah, he wears a red flower on his lapel. Um, Listen, you gotta be able to distinguish British people from American people. That's right. No, I don't think so, actually. Um, no. When, <laughs> when the driver gets out, so he stops, a, he gets in front of an oncoming truck that's about to squish the flower. And when the driver gets out to yell at him, the narrator shoots a gun and sh- and bas- or pulls a gun and shoots the driver's tires. Um, <laughs> Which because- really, I mean, pointing a gun at a man's face just because he's driving and yeah, he almost hit you, but you know, it's New York or whatever. It's like... Yeah, it seems a little extreme. Indeed. Yeah, apparently driving over the flower would violate the World Environmental Protection Agency Nature Conservation Act, namely destroying some native uh, uh, flora in the area. I really feel like this is bastardizing, like Greenpeace versus uh, sanctifying it. Mm. I mean, yeah, basically, I, I want to talk about sort of this guy's sure. methods later, like, like sort <laughs> yeah. of in a, in a, like <laughs> when it's when it's a little more extreme, I guess. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. A fight breaks out as the narrator explains that eventually he grew up and became a cop like his father, then joined the HM Sanitation Corps, the garbage cops, a.k.a., taking <laughs> out those trashing the environment. But then he went after some big corporations and got in trouble. So now he's a, a vigilante environmental cop. Okay. After beating up a bunch of these dudes, he gets them to agree to basically move the opening to the vacant lot that this truck was going to so it won't run over the flower. And then pulls out some kind of like wire pod to oh. put over the flower to protect <laughs> it. Because this – so the thing is, I guess the assessment here is if you put – a fence around it no one everyone's just gonna not do something to it no matter how small the second he leaves some kid's just gonna kick that fence off as hard as he possibly can or like somebody who's just fucking like not looking directly down and it's crowded or trip over it you're right yeah Yeah. like what what do you think's gonna happen 
I guess, yeah, no, you're right. So God. in the story, a bunch of few, yeah, a bunch of, like, there's no, like, you, you, you got to transplant that thing to a safer spot, buddy. Come on. God. So a bunch of future types walk past a big wall, and on the other <laughs> side is New York City's Central Park in 2050. Some soldier types in armored hazmat suits and rifles walk among the trees as a woman in like a white like they're in red um um hazmat armor and she's in white hazmat armor because she's a yeah, scientist she's doing lady, a tricorder i, I mean yeah. not really once you see her dialogue <laughs> yeah well because she's doesn't really she's like an intern or something i guess because she doesn't understand what the gas readings being off means the oxygen's is really the- high and the co2 is really low like, I don't know. We'll take it back to the, to the people who know things. <laughs> the techs will know what's up as they see a giant mass of vines and plants ahead. And then small narration boxes appear. Flesh. Capricious. Hostile. As spiky vines snake around their legs. The oh, woman God. reports back to eat the EPA base. They've they've hit the high, the the hot spot <laughs> when the vines engulf them, and we can only hear their scrambled cries for help over the radio. I, they just don't realize it's happening until they're literally just entangled in the thing. So well, I guess you know, they, you know, it's when, when you're in one of those suits, you can't really feel what's going on outside your, you know, to your skin or like to the surface of the suit. And you can't look down because the, you know, the helmet, the way the helmet's set up. They and look stuff. like spiky vines. I feel like if it started poking around your butt, you'd figure it out real quick. Yeah. Counterpoint. These guys are probably dumb. Um, Ooh, fair. So, um, outside the park in a command truck, they listen to this as the apparent boss, Mr. Wildside, with two God, such a cool name for such a lame character. W-I-L-D-E-S-Y-Y-D-E. Oh, wow, He thinks about what to do next with his round red glasses, mutton chops, and sort of sport coat kimono kind of thing that's got a bunch of... Like that sea is logos now, on it. That is now a thing. The sport coat kimono should have well, been it's something. It's got like big, wide, like oh, no, shoulders. You, you nailed it. Like, like, sorry, not actually kimono, but like the thing. Like Japanese warlords wear that vest thing with like the symbols for their for their clans on it. It's like yeah, that sure. mixed with the, mixed with the sport coat. I'm I'm sorry, everybody. I forgot the terms. Um, but anyway. It seems like he works, um, whatever's happening is a Chilton experiment, and that's sort of the name of a corporation. Everybody's wearing this C logo, and Wildside knew this would happen. <laughs> and But if the press finds out, they'll crucify them, so they've got to do their best to make sure they don't find out. Elsewhere, a vehicle is dumping crud into an open sewer when the trash cop, sanitation officer oh, Trask arrives and orders them to surrender they pull guns but he made some stern stuff gun and and guns them down Ugh. even stabs one in the chest oh and so he's God. killed them all so i guess we're just going for like an environmental like judge dread here i guess he, yeah no he's just a murderer though because he's not really a cop that's true yes this guy is definitely a vigilante who did kill all these people <laughs> Like, I'm not saying that what they were doing was right. I'm just simply saying due process, motherfucker. And I guess in this, this, like, post-environmental collapse world, he does say that dumping, like, what they're doing is a capital offense. But just saying that someone's doing something bad and then shooting and knifing them for it. 
Yeah, we definitely don't get a sense that we're under Judge Shred rules where the cops, where if you, if you're, if it seems like you're guilty of a capital offense, they can just shoot, they, they can just do a summary execution. And even if that is the case, I still think you got to be an actual cop and not a vigilante to do that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can't just like prescribe to the world of like duck philosophy. If it looks like a cop and sounds like a cop, it's got cop powers. Yeah, like, come on, buddy. <laughs> Got duck powers. Uh, <laughs> I strive for it every day. <laughs> so uh, Wildside speaks to the press and says there's nothing to worry about. We've got it all well in hand yeah. as more tiny narration boxes appear and suddenly just giant murder vines come flying out over the <laughs> containment walls of Central Park. So it's fine. Everything's fine. Just watch out yeah. for the glass. Sort of like actually what uh, Wu Wang was saying about uh, Geomancy. We get the narration boxes saying, uh, in the beginning, there was green. And so it was <laughs> for billions of years. And in the end. Trask is calling. Yeah. Calling, Trask is calling in his murders to EPA Central. <laughs> but the radio just says everyone cons- everyone's more concerned with what's going on in Central Park at the moment. So he hops in his rocket ship car and goes to check it out. Takes his- it's got a lot of thrusters on it. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. This doesn't seem like this doesn't seem like an inside the city kind of car, buddy. You need like a smaller rocket it's, car for that. It's got eight rockets on it. And they're at different positions on the car. Got to maneuver, I guess. But yeah, he takes off his helmet. We see he's got black hair with a white streak down the middle. Ooh, it's 1991. Oh, he's Pepe Le Pew. Exactly. That's why he stinks. Whoa. He argues. Oh, my God. He <laughs> argues with his very little, literal-minded ship's computer as he flies towards Central Park. At the central control room for the New York City subway station, <laughs> I, which I guess is a modernized version of the one that you see in like the taking of Pelham 123 or something like that. Um, we see uh, like everyone's looking at, up at the big subway board as lights start flashing without their input. Someone's taking control of the system and we see two subway cars crash into each other head on. Uh, God, what could, what's <laughs> happening? Trask sees Wildside outside the park, plucks a fresh lapel flower. I think it's like either a marigold or a carnation or something. It's hard to tell from this little greenhouse that he's got on his ship and then heads out to investigate. So he murders a flower on his way out. I mean, it seems like he's sustainably growing them, but yes, you're right. Again, Um, murdering that flower. (laughs) You'd think you'd have an artificial flower if this was your deal, you know? Yeah, exactly. like you've just committed a crime that you just beat up a bunch of dudes for. Shot and killed and stabbed. Well, that was for (laughs) dumping, not for for flower destruction. But he did punch a bunch of people in the face for it. I broke Um, their hands. Yeah. So um, we see giant vines crawling out of the park, all like public transit's been shut down, and suddenly power goes out all over the city. Wildside's overseeing another team of commandos being sent into the park. If they don't stop this now, it'll be a disaster and a scandal. Mamma mia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We can't just let that happen, mamma mia. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot going on. The Pope's going to be here any minute. Uh, (laughs) Trask is running towards all these guys when a vine snakes over the wall and lifts him into the park by the throat. What's he doing sneaking around these murder vines? He's got to be careful. 
Meanwhile, in a swanky um, penthouse hot tub surrounded by Ugh. babes and hunks, an old rich guy <laughs> with a mustache named Sir Walter grills Wildside over the events of Central Park. This guy seems like he's the like CEO of uh, Chilton to, or something. To be honest, I, it wasn't written. So I was just like, okay, so this man's, man's got, you know, a wide variety of tastes. And then I see the rubber ducky in there and I'm like, oh, I see a man of my own heart. That's right. Quack, quack, Volks, indeed. Um, <laughs> he, um, Chilton says the experiment has proved, has proven very res- resourceful, quote unquote, but he sent in another fire team to neutralize it, though these troops don't notice the vines creeping up on them either. Like, come on, guys. Like, have someone be watching your sex at the very least. They're too busy trying to shoot a squirrel. It's true. Even as Trask is being attacked by giant vines and the narration uh, boxes talk about the, the reclamation of the world and destruction of, of, uh, nice. of, of, of flesh as all this is going on. In desperation, Trask pulls a sidearm and blasts the vines off of him. Okay, cursing. okay, bud. I mean, you know, again, like, you just killed a bunch of people for environmental stuff, buddy. We're seeing some hypocrisy. But <laughs> he curses Wildside and Chilton for their various plant-based crimes. He's got to escape. He finds a metal panel leading to the sewer, blasts it open with some C4, and jumps in, landing waist deep in waist. Ugh. Even though, and that and doesn't even seem to be free of the vines. There's sewer <laughs> vines in there. <laughs> I just, he exploded the vines with, he's done more damage to plants than we've seen anybody else who he's murdered. To be fair, these seem to be like evil murder plants, but also, yeah, you're right. You could just (laughs) run away, you know? So Kent, Wildside's assistant, Kent is very much the uh, the Robbie Robertson to um, Wildside's J. Jonah Jameson, because (laughs) Robbie Robertson was like the city editor who um, would always be like would w- w- would basically be the one who J. Jonah Jameson has has um, arguments with about like you can't just spend all the newspapers' money to buy spider slayers, JJ. <laughs> like I need to kill the Spider Man, and <laughs> goddamn it, I need to kill that goddamn Spider Man. Yeah, he wants to kill him after he's gotten the pictures. That's the oh, key. that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway. Kent says to pull the team before they're killed. This experiment's out of control. At the World Trade Center, we see folks pile into an elevator, but the plant scrambled systems make the elevator breaks, fail, and everybody drops to the ground and is presumably killed. Man, I just you know, got nothing to say about that just really tall picture. 1991, you know, I guess first Raid Trade Center attack, I suppose. Um, anyway... Um, Wildside says they can't end the experiment. The survival of the company is on the line with it. As the strike team command, uh, as the strike team radios, they're being killed, and the herbicide they have does nothing. <laughs> In the sewers, Trask is c- carried deep underground by the vines. When suddenly he can hear its narration boxes, and we see eventually. He's taken to a giant supercomputer setup with a huge plant inside. Yeah, it's the mother artichoke. It does have an artichoke thing on the bottom. You're right. We are the green. And it says it was created to destroy humanity and save the biosphere. And Trask reasonably is like, are you sure that like those are your directions? (laughs) Could you look at the (laughs) could you look at the sign again, I guess? I mean, well, it doesn't it stop true. it. Does it stop at humans? Because it didn't kill that squirrel. 
You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that's made of flesh, too. Maybe it's got priorities. Oh, that's fair. First, first we take the humans, then we take the squirrels. <laughs> yeah, squirrels are less of a problem. Next time, green speak. Oh, having a hard time with this one, Conrad. And this is a man who loved uh, that vegetarian one. Yeah, you love dead meat. I would say, I'd say that honestly, trash feels more earnest than dead meat. I think. Oh, yeah. I think that it it assumes that it has a message where I don't think that dead meat had one. No, I mean, de- dead meat was definitely, I feel like, especially by making their Judge Dredd a sheepman, um, was very much just trying to kind of like tell some jokes, basically. Yeah. And do stuff like that. That's why the villains were also so cartoonish and the situation was so ridiculous and stuff like that. I, I, rem- I just don't know if a killer Captain Planet is what I want. Yeah, I know in Thrill Power Overload, they actually talked to Kupperberg about this story, and he def- it definitely seems like he got a chance to write in 2000 AD and sort of felt like environmental issues hadn't mm. been really brought up that much in 2000. That's and so fair. And sort of trying to fill a zone, but I don't know, man, because just 90, early 90s environmentalism feels so, like, bright-eyed to my cynical 2021 <laughs> mind, you know? Because it's all just like recycling and hairspray and dolphins and fishing nets, I guess, as yeah. opposed to the more apocalyptic things we know now, like giant trash gyres in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> and, you know, should have fucking recycled various extreme weather events, you know, like running out of names of hurricanes. There's so many in a year, things like that, you know, uh, that just, it seems quaint is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, I guess like when I think environmentalism, I don't think of a murderous copper. Like not it's even true. a copper. Yeah. Uh, I, there's the toxic Avenger in a way, but even he wasn't for it. Like, oh, never to recycle, you know? I, I definitely, if you want to read a, what I thought was a, what, what was a pretty interesting story about a, a freelance environmental or a vigilante environmentalist, uh, Neil Stevenson's book Zodiac is, um, oh. is a pretty good example. Okay. It's Zodiac, like the, uh, like the, like the, uh, the, the boat, like the like a uh, you know an inflatable raft with an engine on the end, not mm. like the Zodiac Killer, or or uh, astrology. Anyway, I, oh, I just <laughs> I just feel like like in, increasing natural disasters and people failing to you know stop them and things like like that's got some impending you know doom and potential hope to it. You know, not just like mm-hmm. a guy who kicks the shit out of some construction workers and stops them from being able to work for multiple weeks because of a dandelion. Uh, but what yeah it that very much seems like more like yeah i don't know i it, it, it's hard to tell with some of these how earnest the story is generally you know but that, sure. this one this one is more earnest than dead meat certainly yeah um and i, mean, I, I like listen i like giant uh, uh psychic plant monsters i'm willing to see where this is going yeah you know? i'll say i'll say also i gotta give props just for being bold enough to call your story trash because because <laughs> <sighs> it's yeah it does open itself up that's like calling your story like uh the sucker or something where you just you've just set up a negative review a, a negative review line that everyone will use you know yeah but that's like the low ball i i feel like i'm actually pretty well, no, wait. I actually said that. 
Speaking of trash at the beginning, you're right. I did it. <laughs> hey, speaking Son of psychic of connections that like like you and me have, Fox, let's oh, talk about yeah. Thrill Three Anderson Side Vision. Oh God, how did it go from great to even better? Mm. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot David Roach, lettering robot Steve Potter. Judge Cassandra Anderson is journeying deep into her own mind to figure out the cause of these hallucinations she's been having. In the real world, we see tech judges. They see her endorphin levels are spiking. And in her mind, she walks through a strange cavern full of God. carved stone judges, judge statues and other symbols from her life. But as she walks through these, she doesn't think that she that like this is her create like it's not a creation of her own mind. It's from some other source. Right. Like the judges creating constructs to stop you from going deeper into your mind, man. They're the That's right. They're the metaphysical constructs of being At the a matrix, judge. bro. Yeah. We see symbols of her life, including uh, Chief Judge Magruder, Dredd, even Judge Corey telling her to turn around and go back. Um, but she doesn't, um, like they say, she doesn't know what, she doesn't want to know what's going on deeper in the cave, but she can't stop. She can't be, um, nah, man, like, it's like, like, like She's going to make it happen. Yeah. She sort of says, oh, like even Corey telling me like the, someone I love, like is sort of telling me this, but I'll overcome that too. She continues through tight corridors and strange bridgeways when finally she's confronted by the last test, a giant dang monster with big old teeth, the Keeper of Secrets. And a skull club. That's right. The key to the mysteries. It attacks her with a giant staff with, I believe, a skull on the end. Um, Hell yeah. Skull stick. Yeah, we see her stress hormones spiked 200% in the real world. She's in trouble. As it um a- and as Anderson fights and seems to be losing to this massive beast, she gets one. She, it, it gives her one final choice to turn back, but Anderson calls its bluff and then does a leg sweep, which sends us hurtling yeah. into the abyss below. Now let's see what this is all about. I want to I want to call out one thing that that like when she's down on her back and like getting attacked, there's mm-hmm. this bottom right panel that I really like because I don't see it come up very much. Um, but they, it does one of the best bit lip expressions that I've seen in a while. <laughs> nice, I, I, yeah. Because it's just like, it actually shows like fear, rage, trying to do some, I just don't see people biting their lips much in this. And I think that it's a yeah. good, it's a solid, uh, emotional facial move. Definitely. Well, and I think that's a side effect of this being an Anderson story. Like, I think she's able to show herself to be a little bit more vulnerable mm. than your average 2000 AD um, um, protagonist. Because, like, Dread would never do that, you know? And everybody, and it seems like we, we're dealing with a bunch of Dread clones these well, days. Well, I mean, his you know? bottom lip is really far away from the top of his teeth. That's also true. Anderson walks into a strange, damp mist. Things feel familiar. So this seems like a mental place she went when she was a little girl. And then, indeed, a tiny three-year-old Aww. Cassandra Anderson in braids appears. She's so cute and so sad and so upset at herself. Yeah. Adult Anderson promises she's not here to hurt her, and they walk into the mist. In real life, Anderson's physical functions are slowing down. It seems like she might be dying or something almost. We see... Young Anderson, she loves her parents. She lives in the Edgar Casey block. And I don't know if I've said this to you, Fox. I feel like I've said mm-hmm. it a couple of times, just that Edgar Casey was, is this big, um, uh, um, early, like, new age, um, uh, uh, character. He was called, like, the sleeping mystic. 
he would go into trances and basically like be asleep, but in his sleep he'd speak and like give prophecies and cure no. the sick and do all this stuff. And he's sort of a he's a formative figure. The kind man. Well, yes. Sorry. So, yeah, in this in this new age movement, which I'll put in quotes, and so yes, he's sort of the he's sort of the first of of um, of sort of modern con men, where the magic is more about sort of a vague spirituality and something, as opposed to being specifically about <laughs> Jesus or the devil or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I like here. vague spirituality is the most damning phrase. But then she says she's a bad and wicked girl because at oh. night. The monster comes to hurt her. Jesus Christ. Um, I guess content warning again for implied um, all kinds of stuff. Um, The monster says it'll kill her if she tells her mom and that her dad says this is all fine, I guess. So in the end, she basically makes a voodoo doll and stabs it to kill the monster. But she thinks she did something wrong because it kills her father instead. That's so sad. Yeah, listen, I feel like, you know, we got in trouble when we started trying to find meaning in um, in Summer Magic, but this feels far more explicit just of, yeah, of what's exactly. going on here. Young Anderson cries, as does the adult one, because now adult Anderson realizes that at age three, she killed her own abusive father with her nascent psychic abilities. But then she realized that the monster that was tormenting her didn't die. Instead, the judges just locked him away here in her yeah. own mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, it's, it's intense, man. And, yeah. I, and, and it's, I, I feel like so much more intensified because the characters are always wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it seems like um, she really like when her father was abusing her, it seems like she's separated out mm-hmm. when he was like the, the like the father that was abusing her from the father that that she loved. And thus has sort of created this kind of faceless monster that did these things to her, you know. Exactly. Again, it's just not, so, so traumatizing a, and so like, I don't know that just the way it's handled is it, you're there is subtext here, um, but it's I don't know. Well, I like it's you pretty close you to the surface, it. I think. Yeah. I, like, I don't know. Um, we see Anderson's vital readings, life functions, minimal mental functions off the scale, off the scale. The mists roll away as both adult and child Anderson are confronted by that mysterious figure in the fedora and mask from the earlier chapters of this story. From Anderson's mental graveyard, more of these figures come bursting forth from the grave uh, sites. Fuck. Both Andersons are terrified, but adult Anderson realizes the truth. She pleads with her younger self. She says she's not a bad girl. The monster's dead, and you killed it. The only thing keeping these monsters alive is her own fear. So don't be afraid. Young Anderson takes heart from this. She tells the monsters to go away, saying quietly at first, and then shouting, and then she just fucking eye lasers them all. Yeah. It's the best way to (laughs) deal with your fucking demons is just eye laser them to death. It's so awesome. Screaming and eye lasers. The monsters are destroyed, and young Cass is happy and not afraid. She disappears in Anderson's arms, and in real life, Anderson's 
Vitals return to normal. The judges go to check on her, and inside her straitjacket, she says, not to worry. She's been away, but she's back now. So, uh, if one of you could give a lady a hand with her straps, uh, you know. know. (laughs) Yeah, help us out here. In narration, she explains that she did kill her father for justified reasons, but that, and that afterwards, apparently she sort of spun out about it, and so Psy Division took her into custody for, uh, for the murder, and then sort of uh, other psychic outlashes, and buried those memories deep in her head, and so they could use her as a Psy Judge. And I should say, as she's doing this, she's, as she's saying that she's wearing, like, I don't know, like a, what, what the World in, world of Warcraft player in me would call a, a, a tabard or something mm-hmm. over her regular judge uniform. Um, it kind of gives her almost a side boob look in a couple places, even though yeah. I believe she's <laughs> still wearing her full uniform. But because it's black and white, it's a little harder to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, now she knows all this, but there's still something she's got to handle alone. And then we see her riding off into the cursed earth. That's right. We've got a baby to deal with. That's right. Yeah, 50 miles outside the city, Anderson follows the baby's power like a beacon, but disappears when she gets close. She gets off her lawmaster, shouts to the mutant that she comes in peace and drops all of her gear to prove it. A mutant appears and leads her um, back to a hidden village in a hillside where she meets that trio of, wi- trio of witches from the start of the story. Damn crones. Yeah, they're like, how did you remember? And she's like, buddy, I just broke up. I just destroyed a mental block, like, created by professionals that held for almost 30 years. Like, you know, I, I broke yours by accident, basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to square up with the baby. Yeah, come on. She wants to see the child. It's just a weak old kid. But Anderson feels like an insect in her presence. Yeah, touches- I mean, well, so it was the it, it wasn't the crones who put the block on her, but it was the baby. Like they asked exactly. the baby to do it. Yeah, Anderson touches the child. Oh, sorry. First, she checks to see if if she touches the child, it won't just burn her brain out, which is fair. <laughs> um, but then she touches the child and feels an instant rush. We see images of nature and happy people, crystal sky or clear skies, crystal water, love, respect, a little dignity. Maybe the world could be that way if it ever was in the past, or even if it never was in the past. And this child could lead them to a bright future. That's why the witches call her hope. Anderson says the kid's too powerful. Someone's going to come for her someday to either take her or kill her. And thus she tells them to move deeper into the cursed earth to hide, teach her to raise her right, teach her to control her power, to not use her beautiful gift to do ugly things, which is what uh, Judge Corey said in her suicide note. The mutants disappear into the horizon as Anderson suits back up and rides into the city. She doesn't know if one kid can clean the world up, but maybe a little hope is something we all need. No. The end of Judge Anderson, or Anderson's side division. <sighs> or, I guess, the end of this story. Uh, Engram. It's, it's so good, man. It's so well written. And I know it took a long time to get there, but Jesus... <clears throat> Quite literally, Jesus, potentially. <laughs> For sure, she- yeah. So, uh- Jesus. <laughs> oh, man, no, that's that's the cheese planet that all the mice are on. But um, <laughs> as far as I know, I, I don't know if this kid comes back, uh, Fox. But uh, that's, that's really unfortunate. This is, this uh, that- is like gold. Yeah, but I mean... Sh- 
they definitely could. It's just that, like, we're getting, we're honestly, we're getting to a point where if this kid grew up to be like a 10 year old or something, it'd be outside the zone where I've read comics, you know? Like, mm. we're sort of, like, like, we're sort of five years at, like, you know, in Prague 1000, that's as far as I've read. So if the, if they, oh, if the kid comes wait. back after that's, then, it could happen. That's going to be you and me in uncharted Prague that's right. Yeah, yeah. Up until this point, I've been I've been a, a knowledgeable tour guide, but after that, like we're in the Here Be Dragon section of the podcast for sure. <laughs> um, but I should say, another, like speaking of that period, uh, sadly, um, this is the end of Anderson in uh, the in the Progs. What? Um, for a while, at least. Uh, yeah, after this, in sort of early, in sort of like mid-92, Anderson moves over to the magazine and has an extended magazine presence there, basically. I mean, I think you can kind of see from this story, which deals with topics of abuse and stuff like that, that they are trying to tell more adult, mature stories with Anderson. And yeah. that basically means that, and, and when you're trying to tell a more mature story, that means you got to go over to the magazine is the basic yeah. um, thing. Okay. Um, so she will eventually be back in the progs, but uh, not until 1997, like, and I, which I haven't even read, so I don't even know what the, what the, what the details of that are, but yeah, it'll be a long time till Anderson's back, um, here on Space Spinner, sadly. I do not like this reality. I know, buddy. You're gonna have to find other um, other crush objects here. Luckily, there's at least oh, one. Oh, that's not. No, that's not gonna be for hard. the <laughs> for the for the taking here. But yeah, no, it's a. I mean, like you know, I I can't get too bummed out because I'm still gonna be reading Anderson stories. They're just gonna be in the magazine. But um, you know, it is kind of a sad to see her go from here on Space Spinner for sure. Hey, man, if she grows from this point and makes even more awesome progs, may she shine like the branding star that she is. I that's love that right. woman. Definitely. Awesome. All right. So after an exciting end to a story, let's uh-huh. talk about non-thrills, covers, and nerve center. You bastard. Prog 760. Mick Austin draws Judge Anderson through her past darkly. Yeah. Now, this is my second favorite Anderson cover, I think, by by Mick Austin. Um, I let... I think it's cool that her low cut dress here is at least appropriate for the current story. You know, yeah. it's kind of a <laughs> just without having the context. It is a weird Anderson cover just because she isn't in uniform or anything like that. Yeah, um, it's very, um, very uh, um, scream queen kind of look. Yeah, definitely. Tharg crows that he puts out 196 pages of content each month, not counting specials and best of. I know, buddy. I'm aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go through each page with my soul. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's just tooting his own uh, head circlet. Yeah. Rosetta Sirius. Rosetta Sirius, yeah. <laughs> Igroid plugs both Judgment of on Gotham and a collection of the Dan Dare comics from Revolver, which I'm interested in. Mid-issue, there's an ad for a Lobo collection by Alan Grant, Keith Giffen, <laughs> For- and Simon Bisley. Forgot so, about the Lobo ad. Yeah, that probably explains that Lobo button back at Judgment on Gotham, which I'm sure people have yelled at me about. Um, towards the end of the prog, there's a mixed column, and it seems that Metalhead Cybod, the Audrey Wong droid, has been drafted into helping with the column as well. There's jokes about Ninja Turtle fruit pies and Bill and Ted cereals in the U.S. Okay, buddy, okay. come on. I've seen those Weetabix things you guys do over there. Yeah. Toward- <laughs> what the hell do you even do with it? 
Seriously. The input page has a picture of Dread in some kind of fantasy setting. There's like a sword and flowers and stuff. Letters cool. inc- yeah, letters include a baby being exposed to thrill power early. <laughs> That's not for- good. It's funny just that when there are these babies sort of growing up with progs and realizing that like that baby's 30 now, you know. Wow. Um freak out there's requests uh. for more tharg stories there's questions about the early years of judge dread a very legal letter complaining about thrill power and an argument about when dread first appeared the prog ends with a preview of bix barton with some kind of evil green floating dudes i what were we've seen these like uh the head with three arms in slain um yeah, a long time I forget ago. what it's called. Yeah, the Trisca, Triscaloid or something like that. Yeah, that's... <laughs> the frickin' Triscuits always with their three arms and delicious flavor. Listen, and there's, I, I feel like I've proven over the years I can think of a lot of... I can remember a lot of shit off the top of my head, but the name of that mo- one monster <laughs> from Slain, I, I cannot. Yeah, no, it came... It, that, yeah, was they, that, that was that weird, like, uh, uh, pig monster that they flew on. Yeah, well, well that... <laughs> It was Fuck. the same time. Dude, we yeah. don't have to remember the name of, like, the okay, Porg or whatever. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I do like that they've been... This seems to be a trend they're doing where before a new story starts, they have this back, full back cover yeah. preview of it, which I think is a neat thing. Yeah, it's neat. It's more yeah. art. More art is good art. Definitely. Seven, 761, Firepower or Thrill Power, 2000 AD delivers. We get a rare Brendan McCarthy cover here. The very beefy yeah. Judge Dredd shooting a law rifle and all the thrills appear in the muzzle flashes of the gun. Yeah, it's cool. Trash mix Dredd Strat Sanderson. In the Nerve Center, Tharg waxes philosophical about the nature of Tharg notes, and we get another picture of that yeah. Judge Dredd cosplayer hassling an innocent masked civilian on the streets of London. Uh, Mid Prague, there's a bits column. This one t- talking about Christmas 1991 for the consoles. As we see Mario Three yeah. and Sonic the Hedgehog are out on their respective yeah. consoles. Nothing else really needs to be said there. I mean, the imp- Castle of Illusion, man. Oh no, I guess that was his first one, but it's uh, Fantasia is the one that they're looking at. Yeah, I think that's like an NES one, actually. But whatever. Just, what? yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think that wasn't one of the Genesis um, Mickey stories. But I don't know. I've, uh, enough of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The input page has pictures of Judge Pinhead and a sweet killer robot. Oh, There's so creeps. Letters from a lapsed reader returning, a cap winner acronym, questions about the population of Mega City One, and a theory that Tharg is the son of Garth Ennis, because Garth is an, is an anagram of uh, Tharg. Oh. The prog ends with Durham Red looking onto a huge column the of bodies. Back. Oh, yeah. Prog 762. Vamp! It's Carlos yes. Escara draws Durham Red going solo, no bitching. And that's maybe enough bitch stuff, to be honest. Um, in the- <laughs> I, you know, no truer words, man. She's awesome. My new yeah. crush. In the nerve center, Tharg discusses the start of the, of the Christmas season while Igroy tells a tale of an attempt to lessen 2080's throw power through bribery and then Whoa. gives a bit of, of a Stan Lee backstory. There's another bits column, this prog, this one talking about the hot PC games of the year. And we do see this console computer divide here, Fox, is the top PC games. There's like a 
point-and-click adventure, a city-building strategy game, and four different vehicle simulators, including a World War II submarine simulator. But there is Lemmings, which is rad as hell. That's true. And Monkey Island. Monkey Island's real good. That's that's from the that's from the states. Yeah, but not mentioned in this column, I don't think. Yeah, it is. Adventure oh. game of the year: The Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island uh, Two. Did do very soon. Never mind. I, I like these bits, man. F- I this is one of the things that too much text. I I read this. Yeah, well, it's it's nostalgia for like our in, for the industry or whatever. So oh, it's sort yeah, of a fun dude. thing. Um, the input page is pictures of Odie from Garfield as a strontium dog. God, and Morgan. he's doing. You, you saw his hand in his pocket, right? It's a little odd. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just some some Rob Liefeld stuff. Like you know, <laughs> if you don't want to draw an appendage, you just hide it away. Uh, that's fair. You also see Morgan from ABC Warriors serving drinks. Letters ask if 2000 AD will become 3000 AD when the time comes. Okay, yeah. What's going on on Tharg's head? What ABC stands for, and why Dread shouts the type of bullet he's using? And Tharg gives a very <laughs> gives a very non fun answer here, which is so the reader knows what's going to happen without him having to show an image of him changing the setting on his gun. What? Like, just say it's voice activated or something. You know, let's, yeah. There's no no reason to peel back these layers on the letters page being answered by a by an alien editor, buddy. Um, God, so like asks, that's that's exact. Yeah. I mean, that's how they do it with the movies too, and it's like that's a no brainer. Yeah, well, then it's like voice controlled as well. So I think yeah. it's, I don't know. But so someone asks also how many judges there are in Mega City Two. A lot, but not for much longer, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, and oh, um, and then how also they ask, of course, how the lawgiver reads palm prints when they wear gloves, and it's like, come on, buddy, it's a because it's a show. Because, yeah, it is a show, but the gloves have their handprints uh, somehow magically. I mean, like, what? you're right. Like, like it's a time travel movie. Do we really have to go through this? Right? Like, yeah, it's, it's just a bit of fun, you know, and the guns don't even explode that much. So it's not that big a deal, to be honest. Um, the prog ends with a full color ad for Hulk Hogan vehicle Suburban uh, Commando. Is it a vehicle or was it a vehicle for his own... Disgusting fall, and uh, I gotta hate all of Hogan. Me too. And listen, I just I didn't give any value um, <laughs> evaluations for what kind of vehicle it was. Anyway, seven sixty three. It's Richard Dolan's final two thousand AD cover. Another Christmas one that sees the <laughs> statue of Judgment. It's been defaced. <laughs> Um, I, and I just love this, 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 uh, picture here, Fox. I should actually, I have to apologize for Richard Dolan because I believe a couple of times I said he was, um, he was American, which is not true. And I apologize for the slander quite a bit. Um, English guy just takes a long time because he's painting an oil, he's doing all the stuff in oil paints and stuff. So it just takes Mm. forever. But I love the little details on this cover, Fox. Like, you know, the Statue of Judgment has been dressed up like Santa Claus. He's got a giant Santa hat and a beard and stuff. But if you look closely, you can see that his shoulder eagle has also been given a Santa hat. So you gotta gotta imagine, like, the defacement for this. Not only do they have to just get a shitload of fabric and also, like, like, you know, fluffy shag to make the beard and the hat and the little whatever... And you could see the size for people. And and then the well, yeah. sash has changed and the badge. 
Yeah, the, yeah. He, it's got a sash that says "Bring Back Christmas," and its badge has been changed to Santa. And you can see that even if it's technically a smaller hat than the one on the ju- on the on the Statue of Judgment itself, you can see protesters on the shoulder yeah. pads of the statue, and they're just tiny little dots. God. Um, also, just I love this cityscape. It's got a, actually, I, I feel like it's got a very like a, like a Tim Burton Batman kind of feel to it, as opposed to a more traditional like domey mega city one. I guess yeah, exactly. Like a lot of big sky, like a, like a blocky gothic skyscrapers and overpasses and stuff like I, that. I love me a giant glass orb, you know, on the top of Absolutely. a building. Yeah, and then I just, one last thing, like I think actually my favorite part of this whole thing is kind of a small thing, but you can see like the city and the sunrise reflected in Judge Dredd's helmet, which is such a little, Mm. like a little detail that I think is really amazing. I even think there's some people in like Boeing spheres, like near the... Um, mm-hmm. Statue of Liberty and stuff. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I love the tiny, like, knee-high Statue of Liberty in the foreground and stuff. Oh, and when yeah. They, and he draws Dread, and he's just, like, I've, like, posted this a couple places, and, I, and a couple people said that they didn't like Dread's face because it looks weird. And my feeling is that it looks weird because he's so angry about this defacement <laughs> of the Statue of Judgment. Oh, yeah. It, his face is just drawn into this rictus frown that's there's, really great. There's going to be riot foam all over the shoulders of that man absolutely yeah so um in the nerve center tharg is setting up for christmas and igroid's pretty pumped that that dread cosplayer is now appearing on the cover of Time Out london magazine cool um, and then he also lists um, this year's 2000 AD achievements and teases some dread movie rumors. Fox, did you? Okay. I like these rumors a lot. Apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger will be playing a supporting character. Oh It'll yeah. Be- directed by peter hewitt who directs uh both bill and ted's bogus journey and thunderpants you'll be happy to know i feel like that's a good move <laughs> alex cop cox who wrote repo man Stuart gordon who wrote both reanimator and robot jocks and crash Whoa. leland who wrote all of the sniper movies except for the most recent one will be writing oh. judge dread oh, none yeah. of these people end up working on judge dread <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end of the prog, there's an yeah, there's an ad for Tharg's Future Shop, which are selling sweet black and red 2000 AD caps and right. a 2000 AD T-shirt XL sizes only, iconically modeled by Cybod herself, complete with her matching white and white white and red cowboy boots. This picture is going to be we'll be seeing this in 2000 AD advertisements for years to come. Okay. The input page is a picture of a bullet-like Judge Lead and Judge Muty, but his head's so mutated that his helmet won't even fit on his head. <laughs> Letters say that Igroid is responsible for some excellent stories, ones that only arrived after he started working in the Nerf Center. There's answers for an unspoken quiz, just debates about what actor should play Judge Dredd, and just some general Tharg flattery. Okay. And the prog ends with a preview of Brigand <sighs> Doom. <sighs> Conrad, I'm st- when I saw this, at, you know, when I got to the end here, I was just so happy. I cannot wait for more Brigand Doom. I know you're a, Doom, a Brigand Doom fan for sure. Um, looks like this one, and it'll premiere next Prague, and looks like they're adding some voodoo to the Doom. Hell yeah. Voodoo. We'll see what's going on next um, Ho- in the two doom, episodes. you Doom. So well. And that, in turn, takes us to... 
Thrill for Strontium Dogs. Yeah. We get some heartbreak and some heart throbs. And some heart rips. Oh. <laughs> Robot Garth Ennis. Art Robot Steve Pugh, Leg Robot Alita Fell. Last time we saw this vehicle stolen by former Strontium Dog Farrell and his new comrade Bet. It was getting blasted by the British military forces. Now a bunch of soldiers are checking when a giant combat morphed Farrell comes bursting out. Giant giant jaws coming out of his gross neck foreskin, giant claws and stuff. Oh, Oh, snack indeed. I love this this, uh, Giger-esque, like... Oh, we opened the wrong, we shot at the wrong thing, we opened the wrong thing, now we're just going to get gobbled up because, man, Absolutely. he we, bites them we a see, lot. For sure, yeah, we see, um, we see Bet looking on in terror, of course, as all this is happening. Oh, God. Um, Pharaoh, though, just sees red and then black and eventually comes to and uh, sees uh, Bet looking over him. Um like she, he, he's in Bet's arms in a cave overlooking the city. It's real sweet, and she gets to have this whole moment. Man, I love this. Yeah, there's scattered fires out over on the cityscape. They're fighting hard down there. Bet apologizes for yelling at Farrell for saying that he loved her. She says she's old enough to be his mother and has had too much life to deal with to be in any kind of relationship. She cries, and the two embrace, and then start planning some next move. Moves. She wants to take out Doyle herself, uh, uh, Colonel Doyle, you know, the head of the British forces. It's one of those, like, I'm going to deal with it, you stay here things, where it, and then it's like, nah, man, I'm not going to let you do that alone. But yeah, they're sort of doing that sort of, yeah, standard action movie kind of talk when a voice comes at, from behind them. It's the man himself. Still can't get you away from muties. Mm. All right, you Kano motherfucker. You killed a baby, bro. Pharaoh attacks, claws flashing, but sadly he's once again brought claws to a knife or claws to a gunfight as Doyle shoots him a couple times with his pistol. Fuck! Get him, girl! (laughs) Pharaoh takes a shot to the chest but manages to mow Howard Doyle with his claws. You know, get him with the two two fingers in the eyes. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, Unable to see, Doyle fires wildly, and the distraction gives Farrell enough time to literally rip his heart out. He just... Kalima! Yeah. Oh, numshibuzz, his claws right into that guy's chest and pulls that heart out. The day's saved. Farrell and Bet walk to the road where they're greeted by an APC driven by Serp, one of the MLF uh, members. The hey, we got him. All, yeah, the pairs have surrendered. They've done it. They've won. Everything seems great until Bet opens her big trench coat and reveals that she was shot in the heart when Beryl mm, starts when Doyle started shooting. Oh well you only man well Farrell ripped your heart out. <laughs> She's dying and, sh- and will in fact be dead soon. Oh. She was just happy to have taken Doyle with her. She dies in Farrell's arms, telling him to be a better person than she was and not to live and find a better reason to live than hate. Farrell cries out, his body changing as he does. He cradles bodies bet or he cradles Bet's body in his arms as it begins to rain. Someone once told him heroes never cry, and it's a good thing he'll never be one. He's just a monster crying in the rain. And then you cue the, the credits. I, I just died in your arms tonight. 
Oh, that's not what that song means. <laughs> yeah, but you know, gotta be on the nose. The end of Strontium Dogs. Oh, beautiful. Or at you least know, this. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, just this this part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, that was sweet. I, I remember hating Feral. Remember that? They've now definitely I, done a lot to humanize like him. him here, for sure. I like him. Yeah, they've made it a little bit more tragic, a little bit less like cool and beaten up all your favorites. I think that's definitely a big. <laughs> A big change for Farrell, for sure. Well, and also living with the fact that he's just a really disgusting Giger monster. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, just to various degrees, I guess. But yeah, so the, this story, Strontium Dogs, with a certain old uh, Strontium Dog friend related to it, will return in about a year, actually, in early 1993. Okay. But, uh, you know... Bitter, bittersweet though that may be, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a little hot blooded. Yeah, no, the mutant the the mutant tales roll on, of course. But first, we gotta get gross and talk about Thrill Five Bixbarton. Oh no. Okay. Well, oh yeah, no. Sorry, that's just you know, that's just the I order guess... I got. You know. No, no, it's okay. Like, listen, I'm all about <laughs> I'm all about cannibalism. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, you you, you got to go to Catford now and see what's going on, buddy. I I need to understand, and I also hope they just have a giant cat jumping over the gates to their city uh, yeah. because it's like that specific. Listen, man, uh, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Humans taste good no matter what you do. That's what my mom used to say. That's nice. Big Lord of the Rings fan. Script robot Peter Milligan. Art robot Jim McCarthy. Letting robot Pat Prentice. In Catford, London, which I guess is like Southeast London or something. There is like a, I looked it up. There is actually like a place with like a cat in there in London and stuff like that. Um, but we see a large man in a robe, John, being carried around by some dudes. He says he doesn't want to be king anymore, especially because it seems like he's about to be roasted in a big oven. But they say, nah, it's fine. We'll kill you. Now he's dish of the day. Anyway, Yum. Bix Barton is lying oh, uneasily. Wait, but you mi- like I? Oh. This, it's like the best line in the thing. By the powers invested in me, by the sacred gentleman's bogs next to Catford Greyhound Stadium, That's I right. now declare you dish of the day. It's like a a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fucking... (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of crazy... so weird. A lot of bogs. Anyway, Bix Barton is lying uneasily in his mystic bathtub as he chats with his cane, Michael Caine, when suddenly (laughs) government man Perkins arrives and asks Bix if he's familiar with a man named Keefe. You see, Keefe is the first single-celled human being. A human amoeba. A man amoeba, I'd say. Ooh. <laughs> they need Bix's help, so they hop in the hot air balloon to the roof of the building and climb aboard an SAS helicopter. There's oh, basically... Yeah. They're worried that Keefe has been kidnapped by by cannibals and that in doing so, it could alter the voting patterns of Southeast London. And uh, all of the Southeast, for that matter. Uh, what? Anyway, we talk about Keith. He's got one cell and two brains that control different parts of his body. I don't know. Um, um, basically, they discovered his deal and gave him a job to sort of keep him busy and thin. Because if he gains too much weight, he reproduces asexually. <laughs> The cannibals could make an infinite number of Keefs, and since Keef votes labor, it could spell disaster at the midterms if too many Keefs get made. Oh, 
Oh, I see. That's okay. why they're doing this. If he voted Tory or conservative or whatever, they would be fine. They would. There, this mission would not exist. Uh, I mean, th- but th- but also, like, they're gonna eat him. Yeah, that the government doesn't worry about that stuff. Bix gets dropped in South London, and the cannibals have just spotted Keith. Mm. So Barton and Kane wander the streets of London. They're dropping various quips about politics and urban development that I don't understand. I don't know. I'm sure. If you were making fun of sections of London in 1991, you would get these jokes. Uh, nice. Bix, though, has a flash of the rum. Something unutterably arbitrary is about to happen. <laughs> and then the helicopter that dropped them here explodes and presumably kills um, the government dude. What's his name? Uh, Bix is fine. Perkins. But Bix is fine. doesn't really care. Anyway, time to find Keefe as a destitute figure with pointy ears says that Bix's investigations will lead to him and the gentleman's convenience. Oh, okay. Keefe wanders nice. idly through Catford, not quite smart enough to experience an existential crisis or to notice <laughs> that a manhole cover has opened up in front of him. He falls in and lands in a fancy chair and a shadowy figure announces that he is now King Keefe and Man, should celebrate. You can eat all of this food. Yeah, eat this big pile of food to celebrate as the it's, cannibals plan their next dinner party. cupcakes and pies and a hog's head with an apple on it. I mean, it's just a pile of food. So, yeah. you know, go to town, man. Elsewhere, it seems South, South London is too rum for the rumometer to work. So Bix tries asking locals to help in the native dialect, just some like sort of like uh, phonetic some London accents here, but it turns out that these folks, like this, these family that, that he asked are cannibals as well. They fed their oh, own God. dad to their dog. The great bog told them to. Oh, okay. They sick that same dog on Bix, but then a flying walking stick knocks it out. And that um, filthy guy from before arrives, tells Bix they're working undercover for the Department of Global Security. I'm pulls a off lady. Their, Pulls off their masks and rags, and it's a lady in a yellow and gray skin-type jumpsuit. And I'll mention here, Fox, actually, that I believe that the colors of this jumpsuit are actually the Pantone colors from the year 2021. This is very futuristic. Oh, wow. Anyway, she says she's Agent Weep. Yeah. And she's also got a cane. I don't know if it's a smart cane. Maybe, yeah, maybe that was just like a a disguise cane or something Uh, like that. Oh, I gotcha. She's just real handy with one, too. Yeah. Weep apparently has a theory about why South London is so crappy and shows Bix by taking him to a gentleman's convenience, a.k.a. a public men's room. Wow. Bix is scandalized for a woman to be in a men's room, but Weep's very progressive and needs to show him the phantom graffiti that appears on a wall. (laughs) Cut Cut your hair off and have a tattoo and buy a horrible dog that... Keys everywhere and kill your neighbors. Oh, man. It's a lot, and it's hypnotic powers almost enraptures Bix. Um, and it seems like, so when I first saw what, what you were saying, Fox, about the Great Bog by the Greyhound Station, mm-hmm. I thought there was actually a, like a bog, like a swamp places that was telling people to do sure. things. Yeah. I, for, I forgot that bog is also a, a word for, for bathroom in England. Um, yeah, evil water closets. It's entranced all of South London. 
But not this hot babe. No. Bix has to help Weep destroy this bathroom plague, and Bix will surely find Keefe in the process. Um, his coming was actually prophesied on one of these walls. Beef <laughs> thinks the toilets are alive and sentient, and that grosses Bix out, which is fair. Yeah, ew. <laughs> Elsewhere, the cannibals are rolling out King Keefe. He's been fattened up, and it's time to carve him. But in his panics not be killed, he develops a strange growth and suddenly splits into two different dudes. Oh, and the cannibals, man. of course, think this is whale odd. He's like, oh, this is great. We're going to fatten up all y'all. That's right. Got voting. Next time, Keefe undone. <laughs> Miles of it. That's my second time making that joke, and I'm gonna keep making it. Goddamn, Miles O'Keefe! How do you how do you get pieces for a hang glider in that setting, Fox? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, listen, the important part is if there was a scene, there didn't need to be one. Um, he, you know, where would he get the plastic? Anyway, <laughs> um, from deer bones. Fair. Yeah. Speaking of slightly complex futuristic settings, Fox. Oh, God. <laughs> nah. Nah. Continuing um, mutant, our mutant adventures, Fox, like we should have. Let's talk Thrill 6 Durham Red. Oh, man. Way sexier than Ator. I don't know. I think it's. I think they're on the same spectrum of a beefy dude and a sexy vampress. I, no, I don't know, man. That guy had to throw a cape over an invisible person to fight them. It's fair. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Carlos Escara, letting robot Mary Green. What a weird movie to have an extended uh, aside about Fox. Ator, the... That's like a mystery science theater movie, you know? Um, Anyway, Durham Red is back! Oh, I'm so glad. And she's howling at the moon and looking great. Loving it. Hair is still great. Everything about this is great. And uh, not for any subjective reasons. (laughs) Yeah, we see her staring at this giant column of people in pain and agony. This story is called Island of the Damned. Well, of course, remembers Durham Red as the sexy mutant vampire, bounty hunter, partner of Johnny Alpha. Now she's on her own. In love with Johnny. They made out a lot, but then she drank his blood without consent. Again, Space Spinner 2000 policy is, you, is consent yeah. is mandatory in blood play. Yep. And uh, that turned him <laughs> off. Um, yeah. Uh, she's still in classic um, original Durham Red mode with like this mohawk and um, like kind of chainmail miniskirt kind of thing going on. Hell yeah. It's looking um, good. Yeah. She's standing on a cliffside, looking down on a town, a giant castle below a huge moon, screaming at midnight, oh. feeling the craving. It's hot lust, a dark fire burning in the veins, throbbing in the throat. I like everything that they put to words of this. She's like, I'm gonna fucking suck some blood tonight, baby. Let's Absolutely. Go. Get what's yeah. yours, girl. A trio of dudes in robes hear the cries, but one rushes off. And, 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 but, you know, they kind of brush off the concerns of one of the other ones. They say, like, oh, there's legends of a beast, but it's just a legend. But one guy's like, no, the legends are real. Ged, protect us. Oh, gosh, we got to worry about this. And, like I, like, I love that they're just like, don't worry. They've got drugs, so it's fine that she's doing this. <laughs> yeah. Well, if Ged won't protect them, then these will, and they pull out their guns. Um, but then Durham Red appears. Your drugs or your lives. You only Which, get one shot. 
That's that's how you know it's okay to drink their blood. Yeah. They've only got one shot, and these guys in the robes do not miss their chance to blow. But unfortunately, <laughs> that opportunity only came once in a lifetime because Durham Red, like, attacks him and kills him. And, uh, you know, like a bowl of mom's spaghetti, just... <laughs> yeah, blood everywhere. The surviving monk uh, claims to be innocent, but Red blasts off the side of it, the, the like shoulder of his cassock, revealing like a sort of a bandolier of drug packages taped to his chest. Silently, Red tosses him her gun, and when he goes for it, she leaps on him, and basically she did that to cause a combination of hope and terror to go flooding into his bloodstream to season his blood as she bites his neck and drinks oh, it. Oh, mamma mia, that's what makes her the perfect pasta sauce of mamma's that's, ragu. <laughs> that's a spicy artery. Exactly. <laughs> That's some mom's spaghetti, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's blood on her sweater already. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> a hooded figure walks into a giant gothic skyscraper as a, I don't know, a, a king or a ruler of some kind grills an astrologer about their predictions and narration. The guard asks the hooded one for the password, but instead they just pull a gun and tie the guards up. It Ugh. seems... The astrologers only be given bad prophecies. He's tied to a post and the ruler, this pink haired fop with an undercut and a very skinny, curvy murder knife threatens him. The astrologer <laughs> says the king's insane. He's been driven crazy by those drugs he takes. It's and, a Chris, bro. And the it's ruler a sacrificial dagger. Says madness is relative. He then stabs the astrologer, and the astrologer's cries ring out. The fop looks at his bloody hands. Red. The future is red. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I he's not wrong. The, yeah, the astrologer mentioned that he that he still had more ways to look at the future, and one of them was to read um, animal entrails. And so this guy decided to read the astrologer's entrails. You see what I'm talking about. Durham the Red's hooded, coming in. No, I got you. He's got mom's yeah. spaghetti all over his hands. He's got to wipe that mm -hmm. off. Now now I'm on a new prog. I'm done with that. Um, oh, <laughs> no, it's fine. The hooded figure arrives and gives a few vials of drugs to this pink haired dude along with a piece of paper. It's a wanted poster. 100,000 credits for J.M. Dema, Goth Lord of Dema. The oh, Goth Lord. Boy. <laughs> I'm the Goth Lord. She pulls a gun and reveals herself. Obviously, it's Durham Red. She's taking the goth lord in, but as she does, she slips on the guts of the astrologer. <laughs> oh, no. Felled by her own desire. She <laughs> fell into a, the guts of fire. She <laughs> falls and, in dis and is disarmed. And now Shut she's up. Go she's going on a trip, and that doesn't sound good. Next time, psycho. Kis casse. Yeah, she We're should on. run, run away, but it's too late for her. She's been caught. <laughs> so many references. Oh, my God. Durham just musical. brings it out uh, the best out of us, I feel like. Absolutely. I like that she's still got her SD badge. Well, I mean, she's still a strong. It seems like she's still a strong team dog. She's collecting. I mean, she, she's literally bounty hunting here. Yeah, but so, I mean, they were disassembled, though, right? I mean, they I, blew I, up. Definite. Well, I mean, I feel like an a question that I don't even know if we'll get the answer to is, is this taking place at the same time as Strontium Dogs? Right. Because there's a lot of time for Durham Red to be solo during the events of any, like any Strontium Dogs story, honestly. 
That's true. This could be an interlude of un uh, uh, displaced in time. You know. Yeah. There's there's no specific reason to assume it's taking place in the same time frame as Strontium Dog. Out of time. Say. Out of space. Yep. Space God. Yep. They're out of touch. They're out of time. There's hollow notes. <laughs> All right. No more singing. Instead, really nailing let's, this. let's talk about Thrill 7 Future Shocks. Oh, God, do we have to? Yep. Script robot John Tomlinson, <laughs> art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Oh, yeah, that's right. Massimo. Wow. That's right. The Barbosa, a spaceship of interstellar settlers, tomorrow's children, they call them, uh, arrives okay. on the planet of Taiga 4, led by Commander Milo Jongman. They also, they, they find a garden planet there full of clean air and fresh life, and the ship's empath, Circano, talks about the harmony of the planet, and not the ticky-ticky no, and the, that the tick-ticky no at all. Whatever, Deanna Troy, let's get settling. <laughs> it's all chainsaws and hover tractors as they build sci-fi log cabins, and Socrano disappears on her own. I love that they have hover cranes that are Absolutely. just like... Picking up the wood and then moving them somewhere else, I guess. Like part of those things being on the ground is it gives them a basis to lift things and stuff. Those hover engines are working overtime. Yeah. Um, anyway, one Don't day be below they, them. That's the big thing. Never no. be below a hover crane. No, you get smushed. One day the humans find all the find a whole bunch of the tick ticky dead, and Socrano arrives in full Lorax mode, telling them to stop terraforming or there'll be trouble. <laughs> of course, though, the terraforming con- the terraforming continues, and soon people are dying in increasingly crazier and crazier ways, ob- several of them obviously by psychic attack, as even more tick-ticky start to die. Man, I don't remember the Lorax having a bunch of the animals just self-sacrifice and then exploding a factory or whatever. That's why the Lorax failed. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't the, an eco-terrorist. No, or not enough of one. Yeah. Um, in the end, Jongman heads out to kill Socrano, playing a cat and mouse game in the forest, but eventually getting caught in a rope trap. And so we see Socrano now in rags and face paint explain that the Tiktiki are actually an ancient, highly evolved, civilized race that sort of went back to nature, I guess. And instead of All of right, dying, Terrence McKenna, get out of instead, here. Exactly. Instead of being killed by pollution or something, they were actually committing suicide in protest of the human's actions. And I'm going to make well, a philosopher's stone with my brother in the Mojave. And while they can't kill, tomorrow's children can't, and she blows up the Barbosa. What a nice Kill- person. Yeah, killing everybody but uh, Jongman, I guess. He's the last survivor, now wandering the planet, hoping to ki- find and kill that dang Socrano before he himself dies, perhaps the last human alive. The end! So really what this is about, Conrad, is that um, what the Lorax teaches us is that conversation and um, reasoning and logic get you nowhere, but straight up eco-terrorism murders, like like uh, killing yourself to like make a stench in an area. Yeah. All of these things are far more effective. Can't destroy the master's house, the master's tools, buddy. Or in this case, the master's words. Whoa. Ooh. Anyway, 
Wow. I don't want to. I'm I'm tired of talking about this future shock, Fox, because there's an important thing about it that I want to uh, that I, I would like to discuss. Okay. Because as far as I can tell, this story is the final work in 2000 AD by artist Massimo Bellardinelli. Oh no! We've yeah, already sad. gotten this psych out. It's it's a bummer, you know. But yeah, this is the this is his, I mean, we saw his last series a long time ago with uh, yeah. with uh, Mean Team, but this is his his definitive last work here. Um, my understanding is that he'd go on to do a bit more stuff outside of here, including stuff for the uh, UK Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles comics, no. which I would mm. I would love to see. <laughs> I would love to see yes. some Bellardinelli Ninja Turtles. Man, but his April O'Neil must be awesome. Like, mm, definitely. Yeah, but then he so he, but he ended up retiring in 1993, and then sadly died in 2007. Oh God, the world lost a true treasure. Absolutely. Yeah, a massive talent. You know, he's done a ton of work in 2000 AD. Meltdown Man, Ace Trucking, Dan Dare, Harlem Heroes, Black Hawk, oh even early Slane, you know? Dan Dare. That's right. That, the trippiest that, Dan Dare ever made. The most acid-induced Dan Dare. Yeah, that that prog one da- that a uh, prog one Dan Dare with the biogs and stuff. Oh me. god, a, a biog axe and shit. You know, this is the end of his 2000 AD run. He's the last of the Prog One artists to still be working on 2000 AD. So I'm 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 really sad to see him go. You know, he's really given us some, provided some art for some really amazing stories. Also, stuff like uh, Green's Grudge War in um, in action and stuff like that. And just yeah, really fun stuff. I'm 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 bummed to see him leave. Really miss you, Massimo. Uh, but, you know, rest in peace. And you're a real talent that really helped define this comic for its first, you know, 760 issues or so. And then I feel like its influence is felt in the years beyond, for sure. I'm going to miss that spaghetti bastard. And I Me say too. that because every single time he drew himself, it was eating a plate of spaghetti. Yeah, even when he did like the robot like caricature of himself yeah. and stuff. Excellent. He, he's, he clearly had a sense of humor and a very, very interesting mind in terms of shapes, form, and color. Yeah, I mean, I really loved the way he drew aliens. I really loved and monsters and stuff. I loved his commitment to doing cameos of himself in yeah. the comic. That was always so funny, just like looking around to try to spot uh, Bellardinelli in various crowd scenes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, he's a talent, and I really think it, I, I'm really. It's it, it's a bummer, you know. Honestly, I feel I, I feel like in the first episode, I, I I think it's funny. You can see, I think on our on our original first episode, I actually had trouble pronouncing his uh, last name and stuff like that. And now I feel like he's just one of these guys that feels like a foundational talent to me. Yeah, definitely. But all that said, sorry to end this one on a bit of a bummer, Fox. Let's nah, break man. Up. No, it's a it's a love letter, baby. Yeah, and so I demand to know what your top and bottom thrills for these uh, blogs are, God. 760 to 763. Okay, top, easy, side division, Anderson side division, Engram. It's so great. It's so well done. Um, I I think that in four issues, or four progs, doing what mm-hmm. it does to kind of wrap that story up and have it make sense and despite like this dark thing that happened like the ending is quite literally and figuratively hope um Mm -hmm. is i think very beautiful and like it's a big 
it it's like I don't know. These Anderson side divisions have just been a high mark for us a lot of the time. I it did, you know, I'm trying to think of this in terms of in a vacuum of this of this episode. But even with the delays, I feel like it's worth it. Love the writing, love the art. Steve Potter, you're a great lettering person. Yeah. Um yeah, I just I loved it and it it's so it is melancholic yet hopeful, which I think is so I don't know. It's really powerful to be able to talk about something like that. And uh, yeah, just uh, it, it is such a complex topic, right? It's mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is. It is in a way talking to people who have gone through it in a way that is both empowering, disempowering and hopeful. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, I think it really does a really great job of yeah, of, of telling this complicated or, or difficult Anderson story in a way that is that feels good and I think is a really um yeah it has sort of makes you yeah gives you a real breadth of emotions for sure yeah so for my for my bottom I mean I uh, like I really feel like this is gonna bite me in the ass or something at some point but I'm gonna put I'm making it trash trash is like it is not garbage and it is not trash uh it is very weird um and I don't and normally I like weird it's just that like, I don't see the sense in it yet. I don't really understand where it's going. The main character, I like, I'm not connecting with as much, but the world is interesting and funny, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I am curious about, about its working, but in terms of, like, everything else, like, we had cannibalism, we had Durham Red, we had this sad story with Monster, um... And Judge Dredd, in my opinion, was not bad. I'm amped for for what's coming up with Stan Lee. Um, like, there's just a a lot more that I feel like kind of outshines it. And as soon as I hit it, um, and this is not necessarily me saying that it's going to be bad. It just was kind of this weird outlier in the center of it. And I think that's you know, yeah, yeah. It was no, it's I just a little bit it. too dour, I think, for what it is. Although I, I, but it also played up to the silliness. But it, it just, you know, what I feel like it is. I feel like it's eclectic, and I'd like it to be less of that because it's played straight. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah, I think I I can understand. I guess for sure. So Conrad and I speak for for me and the beer that I had earlier. What are your top and bottom thrills? Oh man, I want to say like I mean. I feel I have far less trepidation in putting trash on the bottom for me, buddy. Fine, <laughs> it's dumb. I don't like the, I don't like this I don't like this character. <laughs> yes. I don't like this Captain Planet stuff. Yeah, it's weird. It seems dumb. It seems ridiculous, and it seems like to have the big deal be that he'll shoot you over a dandelion, which is a you know a flower, yes, but also generally seen as a weed. But yeah, then, it's not it's not super great for a lot of the plants around. <laughs> he's also like blasting away at these vines and stuff like that. Just makes him seem like a hypocrite. Yeah, um, I don't know what's with Kimono Man, Wild like, Side. Yeah, like the corporate stuff seems very like on the nose, I guess, or like well, yeah, again, but also vague. Like, what the fuck are they trying yes. to do, and why does it matter? Yes, exactly. It's pretty clear that like what what's happening in Central Park is part of their plan and stuff, but it seems like they're just sort of I don't know hiding. Yeah, like they're just sort of not getting to the heart of it and stuff like that. Um, like the just, heart yeah, of that artichoke. This, 
<sighs> exactly. <laughs> Goddamn <Sorry>. artichoke jokes. <laughs> but yeah, don't like it. Not good. Get out of here. <laughs> and I think it's also really in the shadow of the fact that the second half of this of the sh- of the progs we looked at uh, uh, 762 and 63 mm-hmm. it's fucking Alan Grant Palooza suddenly like one of the top writers in 2000 AD is doing three thrills he's doing Dread Anderson and Durham Red mm-hmm. you know and with the fourth story being Peter Milligan who's also pretty experienced and knows what he's doing and being silly with Bix Barton that Kupperberg really he's got he had to do a lot to sort of make things up and man just the fact that he's got <laughs> this evil environmental villain whose name is Wildside like okay buddy it's such a, a like a missed opportunity like he could have been somebody sp- like if it was zany he could have been spreading oil slicks and running a motorcycle yeah. gang or some shit like go full ham with it go captain planet yeah it's somehow it's somehow too much and not enough at the same time so whatever <laughs> with trash <laughs> top thrill i think i got to agree with you again man judge <sighs> anderson's real good so we got a solidarity, solidarity. and in the year of some solidarity because yeah this um anderson story is really great and um really like is able to instantly create like this feeling of like sympathy and sadness for Anderson, which which in turn sets you up to feel joy at her triumph. And so I think yeah. that and plus like a kid overcomes her fear and gets eye lasers because of it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What more could you wish for? What that child oh, received looking for, the gift you know? of eye lasers. Yeah. Good times. Oh, so beautiful. That's if if you're worried about the gift, you're gonna get your child for this uh, Space Pinner 2080 Christmas. Get your kids some yeah. eye lasers. Give the gift of eye. Yeah, say it with eye lasers. That's what I say. Say it with eye lasers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Pinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacepinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacepinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else. Go Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Mm. Then come back next time, Fox, as we've at last reached the end of another year of 2000 AD. So it's time for the 1991 year in review. The Spitties. Oh, boom, boom, pop, pop, pop. It's a new year. We're going to be playing some, uh, we're going to be playing some synth wave. We're going to be playing some, uh, some street hip hop. And I'm going to be in my zoot suit, my golden zoot suit this year. No, man. Come on. It's 1991, so it's all grunge. Oh, you know? yeah, you're right. You got to so be, it's gonna be there in your golden flannel, you know? Golden flannel, golden ripped jeans. Golden um, Doc and, Martens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you know what? I'll go for golden Converse. Ooh. Golden uh, Dinosaur Jr. t-shirt. All that kind of stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> And we're gonna show up and be like, oh, we don't even care about like whatever, but we're we're gonna tell you, and you gotta just accept it because it's our reality, man. 
The award goes to the system, like it always does. (laughs) All of this and more. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll be talking about our favorite thrills from the past year, and we want to hear from you as well, absolutely. Um, Send in your favorite writer, artist, and overall thrill of 1991, your favorite month, and your MVP, or most valuable person or player for that year. Also, you know, if you're being friendly and sending us in some information, I'll mention that that Spinney's episode's also going to be our 250th episode. Oh. So, you know, well wishes might be appreciated as well. Come on, you ding-dongs. Get in there. Give us some some information about where you live, your credit cards, and, uh, you know, just general contact details. Think about it. Anyway, get them in soon and we'll read them on the show. But until then, I'm Conrad East Fox and we are Space Pit 2000. Daddy, I want eye lasers. Burn.